Friends, this morning I want you to take your Bibles and we'll be there in a moment. Just open it in advance to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. The last few weeks we have been looking at a series called Under Pressure, people in, with problems, which are all the people in the Scripture, people who walk by faith, not by sight, oftentimes they find their life of faith in collision with circumstances. That is the world we see around us. As you turn on the television, it's constantly bad news. It's constant COVID-19, constant restrictions, and people are worried. People are afraid because circumstances often seem so troubled and so difficult. Closer to home, we struggle with job losses and school disruptions and health problems. The list seems to go on and on. But lest we be discouraged, we turn our eyes into God's great gift to us, the Word of God, the Bible, and we see that this is normal for people of faith. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So we have Jesus and the promise that he has given us that he's overcome the world and we put our trust in him. And so this morning we're going to turn our attention to another character from scripture. Uh, We've been in the book of Genesis looking at Noah a few weeks with Joseph who was uh, always uh, bore out the old saying that no good deed goes unpunished. He was a man of integrity, and for that he was hated, and he was envied, and his situation just seemed to go from bad to worse. This morning, we're going to look at a familiar character. I call them the flannel graph characters of Scripture that we learned about as little boys and girls in Sunday school with that beautiful brightly colored flannel graph board and their stories lent themselves so well to our learning as children but now as we turn our attention to them we see that these old stories familiar stories have a depth to them that we never get to the end of it never exhausts and it has new things to teach us even today following a look at the life of Daniel an episode from his life a familiar episode we're going to at the end of our service we're going to turn our attention to Jesus and what he did for us this being the first month or the first Sunday of the month of May we're going to Come to the Lord's table, and if you are at home, I encourage you to uh, hit the pause on YouTube and go and prepare your elements and be ready to share that with us. Here, I encourage everybody to have your fellowship cups ready, and we will partake at the end of the service as we thank God for what Jesus has done for us. Under pressure. Well, I mentioned it was Daniel in a familiar story, And who does not remember the story of Daniel and the lion's den? I call today's message, Living Among the Lions. Living Among the Lions. I have a picture on the screen of Daniel and the lion's den. Here it comes. There it is. It's one of my favorite pictures from Scripture. I love this picture. I love the lions, each of the lions' different expressions. Uh, you know they're hungry. You know as scrawny as Daniel looks in this picture that they want to try him out. Daniel in the lion's den. But what I really like about this picture is it's accurate to Daniel. We often think of Daniel as the young Hebrew boy who with his friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, known by their their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken captive ahead of all of the deportation of the people of Judah. They were taken captive to Babylon because they were young, strong-looking, and seemed to have their wits about them. They wanted to raise them in service of the Babylonian king. And the first a half dozen chapters of the book of Daniel are episodes from the lives of these Hebrew exiles. You'll notice a lot of similarities between the life of Joseph and the life of Daniel and his friends. Through no fault of their own, they were taken captive as slaves to a foreign land. And through the gifts that God has given them and the character of integrity, they are raised to high positions in these foreign royal courts very similar they are gifted with spiritual gifts including daniel and joseph the ability to interpret 
prophetic dreams as well in receiving dreams and visions themselves. Though they're separated by centuries, they're very similar in many ways. We saw last week as Joseph felt forsaken as he languished in the Pharaoh's dungeon forgotten by everyone but God for years. This story takes place primarily overnight as Daniel is in that horrible place of execution, the lion's den. And yet Daniel, unlike Joseph, who faced prison in his late 20s, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who faced the fiery furnace without fear, with trust in God, as young men, Daniel is now an old man. This is the last picture we have of Daniel before we enter into the latter part of the book of Daniel, which is the dreams and the visions and so forth. This is Daniel in his 80s. He was taken captive as a teenager, and now the Babylonian Empire who conquered Judah and took him captive has itself been conquered, and there is a new empire on the block, the empire of the Medes and Persians, and Daniel now is a captive of them. It's almost the end of the 70 years of captivity. The book of Daniel tells us that Daniel, at this point, as an old man, already has a copy of the prophecies of the prophet Jeremiah, and he knows from the book of Jeremiah that their captivity will be 70 years. And so they're within four, five, six years of the people being able to go home. But I think Daniel's probably understood that he probably won't be making that journey. He's near the end of the road. And so we come today to Daniel in the lion's den. Old man Daniel in the lion's den. And you may be asking yourself today, if you are a young person, if you are an older saint, you're going to track with this. This speaks of you and I. But if you're a young person, you may be saying, well, what does this really have to do with me? How an older person deals with adversities. <laughs> a person under pressure. Well, friends, let me tell you, this is your life today too. Thinking of Daniel in the lion's den, I think of seniors and the struggles that seniors and the challenges that seniors face today. They face things that we can't comprehend as younger people. They experience profoundly loss. When you are young, your life is all about gain and getting, and you so look forward to the next birthday. <laughs> as you go along, you don't look forward to them quite as much as you once did. They come so much quicker, and you just sort of dread them. Because you know, as those candles on the cake mount up, that losses will mount as well. When you are young, oh, you want the very next thing. There's always a good thing waiting. Oh, I can't wait till I learn to ride a two-wheeler and turn in that three-wheeler. Oh, I can't wait to go to kindergarten. I can't wait to go to primary school. I can't wait to go to junior high, high school, college, graduation, my first job. You can't wait for all of these things you get and you get and you get. Oh, the day when you get your learner's permit or your driver's license, your hunter safety course, your first big game animal that you're able to, to, to bag. All of these things are exciting. Oh, your life partner. Standing before God and making your promises at the altar. Oh boy, your first little tiny newlywed apartment. Oh, you're poor as church mice, but you've got the world. Your first home, mortgage, children, education of children, grandchildren. You just, it's so much, always coming, something new and better around the corner. But there's that point in life when it goes the other way. Just a little bit, but more and more. Those things which we once received gladly from the hand of God, because of where we're at in life, we are now asked to give them back let go of them and oh we may hang on with white knuckles and we may deny it but the time is coming that it all goes back it all goes back in the box 
the greatest of these losses. And as I see Daniel, the old man in the lion's den, I think of them as the lions of loss. The lion that roars the loudest, the king of the beast, is the loss of our loved ones. There's no crueler loss in life than the loss of your life partner, your, your husband, your wife, your loved ones, your friends, your acquaintances. Pretty soon, if God gifts you with a long life, it seems you have lost most everyone that knew the world that you grew up in. They're gone. They're lost to you. And if that wasn't hard enough, the heartache of loss of loved ones, you lose your health. Your physical stamina and health and strength. You stand and look at yourself in the mirror and you say, Who is that person? What's happened? What happened to me? Physical strength, our memories, our mental sharpness, they're like the tide. They come and then they go. That home that we were so proud of and we took such care of doesn't look like it used to. The shingles need replacing. The house needs painting. It needs a lot of work. But don't we all? And then you're asked to leave it because you can't maintain it anymore. You lose your home. You go into an institution. You lose your independence. Oh, the happy day when you got your driver's license. Oh, the picture was terrible, but you didn't care. And then they take it away from you and they they cut it up. You can't drive anymore. They can't trust you with that. You lose your freedom. You lose your self-determination. You're put out to pasture. You lose your job, your financial security. It goes and it goes and it goes. And if that wasn't hard enough, you lose the respect of society. Western society today is a silly society. Our culture is driven by social media. Social media has an emotional maturity level of about a 12-year-old. It has a wisdom level of a 19-year-old. That's why I encourage everybody to avoid social media. It'll do you no good. There's no wisdom to be found there. There's a lot of knowledge, but there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. And we live in a society that does not value wisdom. The lions of loss. Did you notice something there? Losing independence, health, jobs, security. (laughs) I could be describing a young person during the COVID pandemic. You're facing the same things. I have a lot of empathy for the younger generation because they're going through things that they shouldn't be going through until they're older when they have the spiritual and wisdom resources to deal with it. But we're in that boat today. The lions of loss are roaring loudly. That brings us to the life of old man Daniel no longer in the Babylonian Empire. He hasn't moved addresses, but he's now part of the Persian Empire. Fortunately for him, it was a different culture. As brutal and pagan as that culture was, they valued wisdom. First point I make is that the worth of wisdom was understood by that society. And when they knew kings took over and new emperors were there and there was a new royal court in Babylon, they wanted to know who were the wisest people there who served the Babylonians. And they said, oh, they were often in trouble, but you can't, you can't surpass those Hebrews, those captives from Judah. And Daniel's name came to the fore. And they saw that this man had wisdom. Now remember, knowledge is just the accumulation of facts. You can have a lot of knowledge and be a champion on jeopardy, but you can lack wisdom. Because wisdom, friends, is knowing how to apply the truth and the facts to your daily life and make good, wise decisions. Good living, wise living. You don't see that among the young. The young have so many advantages, but they are short-sighted. You notice when we lack wisdom, it's called short-sighted. When you have wisdom, it's taking the long view. And you don't get that overnight. 
There are a few people who have wisdom at an early age, but those people are rare. Usually it comes over time as you develop a track record in life and with God. This society valued wisdom. The book of Job speaks of wisdom. Job 12.12 said, Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? (laughs) The penny drops sometimes when we're well along. We say, I wish I had understood that 50 years ago. Oh, I would have made different decisions. I wish I valued then what I value now. I understand it better. Well, now we have Daniel. He is well up there in years, probably was in retirement, brought out of retirement by the Medo-Persian Empire who's conquered the Babylonians. We begin in Daniel chapter 6, as I promised. The first three verses show us the value of Daniel to this new regime. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius. Darius is the representative of the Medo-Persian Empire. He is ruling as the king of Babylon. Historically, we're not sure who this Darius the Mede is. Is he Darius the Great? Probably not. That guy comes a little bit later. We do know that the Medes and Persians ruled together, that the Persian emperor that conquered Babylon was Cyrus the Great. He's the one that's going to allow the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple and return from captivity. But at the same time, there were also the Medes in power. The Medes and Persians ruled together for the first half of the Persian Empire until the Persians completely took over and conquered the Medes once and for all. So we have Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Great together. Daniel is dealing locally in Babylon which isn't in Persia, that's in Iraq. Persia is modern-day Iran. But he's dealing with the king as Darius the Mede. And so we see Darius as they're beginning to organize their new far-flung empire. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. These are provincial governors. To rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Sound familiar? It sounds like Joseph all over again. This new regime... They were worried that these satraps, these governors in these far-flung provinces were going to line their own own pockets and they weren't going to kick up to the empire all that was due to them. And so they wanted these people to be beyond corruption. To oversee them, there were three that oversaw the governors. And Daniel so distinguished himself by his integrity and his wisdom that he was going to receive preeminence and be over all the governors. A Hebrew slave. It's an amazing story. But you can imagine, just as Joseph's brothers and just as others in the life of Joseph envied him because of his success, not realizing it was due to his godly character, so... The satraps, they didn't want Daniel in charge over them. Obviously, they wanted to continue on the way they always did. So a plot is hatched out of envy against him. Verse 4 and following says, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel. In his 80s, he was beyond the reach of Potiphar's wife and that type of trap. So they were looking for something against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. A different breed of politician than the others of his age, dare say it, our age as well. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless... It has something to do with the law of his God. 
They knew that as much as he was a good servant of the emperor, whether that be Babylonian or Medo-Persian, he was first and foremost a servant of the living God, the God of Israel and Judah, the true God. This they saw as Daniel, his strength can be used as his greatest weakness. And so they hatch a plot against him. Now this is something that as seniors you know can happen. This is something the younger generation has learned as well, how quickly life can go from good to bad overnight. I say that life can become very difficult very quickly. That's one way to put it. Friends, it can happen with the phone rings. You pick up the phone and the news on the phone changes everything. Your life is never the same. Who could be ringing the doorbell at this time of night? It can't be good news. You throw on your bathrobe and you shuffle to the door. You wipe sleep out of your eyes. You open the door and it's an RCMP officer on your porch with the worst news in the world. You go to the doctor. You're frustrated. They haven't seemed to be able to put their finger on just what is bothering you. They keep putting you off saying, it's not serious, don't worry. And you come back again and again and you feel foolish. You don't want to be a bother. And then finally one day, they say, oh, by the way, we, we missed something. And it is as bad as you imagined it was. You receive news. And so quickly life can go from good to very difficult. Very quickly. And that's what happens to Daniel. He's as high as he's ever going to be in his life and his ministry, overseeing the far-flung Persian Empire. But suddenly, something happens. Psalm 23, 5 reminds us how big that empire was and the fact that God was taking care of Daniel there in the midst. Psalm 23 says, The Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Daniel is right in the middle of that giant empire. 120 provinces full. Palestine, all the way over by the Mediterranean Sea, is a small, impoverished province. Daniel's at the heart of a giant, godless, pagan empire. And yet God is taking care of him preparing a table before him in the presence of his enemies. The trap is set. They know Daniel is a godly man. They know that he is faithful to God. So what are they going to do to set that trap for him? Verse 6 of Daniel chapter 6, we pick up again. It says, So the administrators and the satraps went as a group. A giant group, all the governors roll in and all the administrators roll in. They went as a group to the king and they said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed, Daniel's not part of this group by the way, have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Did you see what they did? They obviously knew the faithfulness of Daniel. They knew of his prayer life. Nothing was hidden that Daniel did. And so they set this trap for him. They probably brought it to the king as an act of unity to tie together this new empire. It's brand new. This is the first year of the Persian Empire. And what would be better than we all take a month and pray not just for the emperor, let's pray to the emperor. 
in the ancient Near Eastern mind, this was perfectly acceptable. The Pharaoh, these uh, Oriental uh, emperors, they were seen as God kings. They were divine figures, though they were men. They were, they, you could pray to them. They held your life in their hands. They had such authority over life and death that one of the worst crimes in the court of Babylon and the Persian Empire, believe it or not, was to be in the emperor's presence and sneeze without permission. If you sneezed, it was punishable by death. Now we hear that today. They say, this is crazy. Well, they kind of saw if you sneeze, that was an evil spirit coming out of you. And he's going to go after the emperor. Oh, that's like treason. Off with his head. This is the, the fear that you had entering into the king's presence. And here they came in, and they had something they knew the king would agree with. Hey, that's a great idea. Everyone prays to me, and no other god or man, just me. Sure, I'll sign it. Now, this was the important thing. You see that picture? That's a seal on there. That's an that's ancient Persian royal seal. For smaller things and documents, you had a seal, a signet ring, reverse carving that you put your name and mark in to show that you had signed it. But if it was a decree, a royal document, they were in the form of a cylinder. You could mount them on a ring, and in the soft clay, you rolled that cylinder and you made a beautiful picture and you left behind. Look at the next slide. This is a, a cylinder that my son Mike and I, at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, we were in the British Museum for days looking at all the little bits and pieces. And this is the royal seal of Darius the Great. Probably not the Darius and Daniel. Probably uh, a few years later, after Cyrus the Great, Darius the Great's seal. What it says in three languages is, I am Darius the great king. And when he put his name to something, it was law. It was not only law, but as we see here multiple times and also in the first chapter of the book of Esther, in the law of the Medes and Persians, once something becomes a royal decree, it's the word of God and it can't be changed. You can't take it back. There are no take backs. There are no do-overs. And so they knew once he made this decree and put his seal to it, Daniel was doomed or Daniel was going to deny his God one way or the other. That's the only choice he was going to have. And they thought they were hitting him at the worst time. They got him in his old age. Oh, Daniel, he may have been able to think his way or get his way out of it as in his younger years, but now we have him. He's old and he's not what he once was. When I think of aging as a person of faith, my mind often turns to Psalm 71. Because Psalm 71 speaks of just that. Growing old and the worries we have and the fears we have and the losses we have, but also the benefits of faith that we have. Psalm 71, verse 9, is a fear that we often express as we get older and they must have thought Daniel would have. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. They may have thought that Daniel's strength was all gone, dried up, his spiritual strength along with his physical strength. But they were mistaken because Daniel had faith. He had faith in the faithful one. He put his faith in the one who over many years had proven that he was trustworthy. The same God that you pray to. Friends, if you are young, put your faith in God. If you are older and have lived a life of faith for many years, you know what Daniel knew, that God could be trusted that you have trusted Him through your life and He has never let you down. Things have not always turned out as you imagined they would or wanted them to. But as you gain perspective, as we saw Joseph last week, got distance down the road and had perspective on his life, you see that God was at work every step of the way. You had faith in the faithful one. So did Daniel run away and hide? Did he go underground? Did he have a secret church? 
What did he do? Or did he lose his, lose his courage and abandon God in the face of the threat of execution at the, at the claws and teeth of the lion's den? No. Verse 10 says how he responded. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, it was law, no going back. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he has done before. Just as he had done before. He didn't change a thing. God had brought him this far, and he was not changing. He was sticking with God as God had always stuck with him. Praying before an open window toward Jerusalem. We see precedent in numerous places in Scripture. Long before people bowed toward Mecca, that thought was borrowed from Judaism as Islam put many previous religions together to form their own religion bits and pieces from Judaism, from Arab tribal religions, from Christianity. One of the things is praying toward the throne of God, which was Jerusalem. And this is what Daniel was faithful in doing. He did not change a thing. He had faith in the faithful one. Why? Psalm 71 reminds us of that. Daniel had a history with God. Psalm 71, the psalmist says in verse 5 and 6, For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become like a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. This is a person who had a history with God, who's trusted Him every step of the way, and he's not going to quit now. And that, friends, is where Daniel was as well. One of my favorite heroes from Christian history, of course, is Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, modern-day city of Izmir in Turkey. Polycarp was snatched up by the Romans in one of their many persecutions against Christians in the second century as Christians were seen as not being good citizens because they would not offer sacrifice to the emperor. Polycarp he didn't want to avoid arrest. In fact, he wanted to stay in Smyrna and continue to pastor his people. Though he was up in age, he was pushing 90 years old, he wasn't going to run from the Roman authorities. Finally, his people, they forcibly took him out to a farm outside of the city. But he didn't keep his whereabouts secret and didn't take long before the Roman authorities found him. When that knock came at the door... Bishop Polycarp opened the door. He invited the friends in, or the, the authorities and soldiers as friends, had the table set for them and served them a meal. He said, while you enjoy this meal, could you give me one hour to pray alone before we go to the arena? Because his execution had been ordered. And they were amazed at his faith. And they said, sure, take your time. They took him to the city. And at every step of the way, the, the Roman governor who knew the value of Polycarp and the ministry of the church, he begged him again and again, Polycarp, just burn a pinch of incense. Just deny Jesus publicly. You can continue on and do what you normally do. Just go through the motions and your life will be spared. The next screen shows Polycarp's answer when he was asked to deny Jesus. He said, Four score and six years, 86 years. Four score and six years have I served him, and he has never done me injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and savior? With tears in his eyes, the soldiers took him to the stake. The fire, though, the, the, uh, the, the wood was piled around the stake, and they took out their hammer and nails because. Brutally, they would nail people to the stake so they would be burned alive. And Polycarp bade them. He said, put your tools away. He said, God will give me the strength to stand in the fire. He'll give me the strength. 
and they burned him. He wouldn't deny Jesus because he had put his faith in the faithful one. In the very similar way, Darius, who knew the value of Daniel and realized that the administrators had tricked him, verse 14 says, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He wanted to save the old man, but he put his seal on the edict. And his doom was literally sealed. There was nothing he could do. And what lay before them then was that long night. I call it the longest night. Years ago, there was a popular book about D-Day called The Longest Day. But for Daniel, and even more so, I believe, for King Darius, that night when Daniel was thrown to the lions must have gone on forever. The longest night. I don't think it was so bad for Daniel because he'll reveal in just a bit that God sent an angel to be with him to close the mouth of the lions. Now remember, these lions, they were were a large group of lions in the lion's den in those days, and they were barely fed at all, just enough to keep them alive. They were fed rarely, and when they were fed, the food was thrown in one side, a, a wall, a partition was lifted, and the lions rushed in knowing that was where they could get their food. And while they were in there, the other side of the cage was cleaned as the partition was closed. On occasion, when somebody would displease the emperor, they were put on there. And when that partition came up, the lions would make short work of them. And that must have been what King Darius was sure was going to happen to Daniel during that long and for him sleepless night. We pick up the story in chapter 6, verse 16. So the king gave the order. What else could he do? The king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace And spent the night without eating, without any entertainment, being brought to him. He could not sleep. A pagan king worried about Daniel. Worried far more than I believe Daniel would have been for himself because this was a man who put his trust in God. Darius said, may your God save you. Oh, truer words were never spoken. Remember the words of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 46. He says, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you. God takes care of us. You are in his arms no matter what you face old or young, He will sustain you. Sustenance. He will give you life. Physical life as long as God plans it. And eternal life for those who put their faith in Jesus. God will sustain you. And I believe God carried Daniel in His strong arms that night. It's interesting that Daniel said he had an angelic visitation. Very likely the same figure that was seen in the midst of the fiery with uh, the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Many scholars think that was a pre-incarnational uh, appearance of Jesus himself. That wouldn't surprise me. It could have been the archangel of the people of Israel, Michael himself. That wouldn't surprise me. But God closed the mouth of the lions. Daniel was in good hands. And the next morning, (laughs) Darius rushes to the place of execution, knowing, hoping, but knowing in his heart, Daniel never stood a chance. Can you imagine when he heard not roars, not the snapping of bones, he heard a voice from the lion's den. (laughs) A voice. Can you imagine Somebody surviving that 
impossible. But then you hear them speak. You are going to pay attention to what that voice says. That voice is going to be a witness to an incredible miracle. And you want to hear what they have to say. Friends, for those who have gone through the the deep waters, those who have walked through the valley of the shadow and lived to tell the tale, I want to hear what they have to say. I want to hear the witness of those who have walked with God through sunshine and through shadow, the wisdom that they have for us. As we come out of the COVID pandemic, there are going to be many testimonies of God's faithfulness that people have to share. I want to be open to hearing those. I believe you have a story. As a child of God, He has brought you through situations in your life that you can now testify to His faithfulness. People need to hear that voice from the lion's den today, whether they're the lions of loss or some other circumstance that God has brought you through. You can say, I was there. I've been there. God brought me through. Daniel chapter 6, verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lion's? It was like a rhetorical question because he'd seen what lions do. The answer was obviously no. There would be no answer forthcoming. But beyond hope, beyond human understanding, there was a voice. Verse 21, Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not heard me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed. He gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. He had trusted in his God. The witness of Daniel is still going out today. Trust in a trustworthy God. He will bring you through it. He'll bring you through it. Once again, Psalm 71, which speaks of the aging faithfully. The writer of Psalm 71 has one wish before they die. Verse 17 says, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. He wanted to pass it on. He didn't want to leave this world without telling everybody who had an ear to listen how good God was and how He had met Him and been with Him every step of the way, whether that be your children or your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbor, your family, those who work in the institution where you now live in your old age. You need to pass it on. Some people, I'm convinced, and I've seen it, They're through with life. They're done living. They've given up. Sometimes years before life is actually over. (laughs) And others, no matter how old they get, they still seem as fresh and young on the inside, still curious, still engaged, still connected, still looking beyond themselves, not living their life with their eyes on the rearview mirror alone. They're still interested in young people today and what's happening. (laughs) That's a wonderful thing to be and be around. Psalm 92 describes it this way. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. 
They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. The testimony, faithfulness, wisdom, a life lived with God. As we look at Daniel this morning, he made it through the lion's den, faced it without fear because he remembered what God had done in his life. He knew God's track record of faithfulness. And so, friends, as we come to the end of the service, we too want to remember. You have something difficult that lies ahead of you. Only God knows what that is. But you can face it as you look back and remember God's faithfulness. The faithfulness and the love of God is shown to us most fully in His Son, Jesus. Jesus came to reveal God perfectly to us. And as we see Jesus coming to the table on the eve of His very arrest and execution the next day, Jesus gave us the gift of remembrance to stand us through the difficult times. And over the last two millennium, the church has suffered. They've struggled every step of the way. They've looked to God and known that He was faithful. Oh, I love to see people who have a track record of faithfulness with God. This morning, friends, we want to be reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. This was a church that was struggling with many issues and with many problems. And the Apostle Paul says, friends, if you just set your eyes on Jesus and remember the price that he paid for our salvation, you'll be done with petty squabbling. You'll major in the majors and forget the minor things. Focus on Jesus. And one of the ways he gave them to do that is to take the Lord's Supper and embrace it and remember it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul reminding them of this said, For what I received from the Lord I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. At home, take your elements that represent the body of Christ, the bread. Closer home here, we peel back the cellophane and take the wafer, which will be the bread and represent the body of Christ given for us. Let's give thanks for this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we remember as children, we sang the song, Dare to Be a Daniel. We often think of it as something for children. But Lord, every generation needs the courage of Daniel, which was based on his track record of your faithfulness. He experienced it and saw your wonder-working power time and again. As Polycarp said, you've never done us wrong. How could we deny you? Father, in the same way, we want to turn our eyes, the eyes of our hearts back and Remember Jesus who gave himself to the cross. Lord, it wasn't the nails who held him there. It was his love for us as he paid for our sins on that Roman tree. And so this morning, Father, we give thanks for the bread as we remember the body of Jesus given for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
After supper, Jesus took the cup. In the Passover meal, there were many cups, many cups of blessing that would be part of prayers. And Jesus gave the great cup, the last cup, a new meaning. He said it's going to mean and remind us of His shed blood for us. So before we share together the cup which reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus, let's give thanks for it. Lord, you have said that though our sins be as scarlet, you can make them white as snow. We know that only the blood of Jesus can pay the price for our sin. The sinless one died in the place of sinners. And the Lord, through putting our faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. They were paid for on the cross. So Lord, we remember that amazing truth as we partake of the cup which reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus. Oh, the love. Oh, the love shown. Thank you for that, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Let's close our time in prayer. Is there a song? As we pray, I'll invite the worship team to come for the closing song on the platform. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's day. Lord, whether it finds us at home or able to physically gather together, Lord, we know that your children, wherever they are, Lord, we're one in Christ. We thank you for the time at the Lord's table, which reminds us of the unity we have in Jesus. We thank you for the witness of Daniel, the voice from the lion's den, having survived the worst things because he put his faith in the faithful one. Lord, whatever age today finds us, may we trust you every day. This is our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.